So, Luke chapter 16. Here's my aim. To cause the audience to know that my wealth is God-given and kingdom-purposed. So kind of two key things about my, my wealth, your wealth, our wealth as believers. That first of all, it's God-given. And then secondly, it's kingdom-purposed. It's certain, I mean, that's God's intent, and of course, you know, it, 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 that's our application. We want to think about it, how can we um, make sure that our wealth is kingdom purpose. And of course, that starts with the fact that i got to realize it's not my wealth, right? It's, it's God's wealth, and He's entrusted it to me as a steward, as a manager, and He wants me to... To deal with it uh, according to his objectives, not just my objectives. Uh, Brett, I thought Brett had a brilliant connection uh, between 15 and 16 last night. And, it's one of the, and it was that if 15, if the kind of the main point of chapter 15 is to, to exhort us and teach us to have a heart, uh, and the way he, a heart for the lost. Remember that? Lost sheep, lost coin. The lost son and you know, the prodigal, the two sons that were actually lost, different ways. But, but in both cases, in all three instances, the point was there is celebration in heaven over, over one repentant sinner. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the illustration that we see, you know, God's heart and celebration of a repentant sinner and his desire to see all of us repent. Is give, we saw that in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. He, you know, he had the big party, the celebration, killed the fattened calf when the prodigal son came back. And he even went out to the elder son, who, we, as far as we know, you know the, the, the parable, the story ended without us really knowing how the elder son responded. But, but the significant thing was the father even went out to him, took the initiative and went out to him and, and invited him to come into the party. Into the celebration. So, chapter 15, a heart for the lost. Then chapter 16 is a mind for the lost. Did I get that right for those over there last night? A mind, in other words, how to think about the lost. Number, chapter 15, to, 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 to care about the lost. And then chapter 16 is to think about how I can use my stuff. For the sake of the lost, for the sake of the kingdom. So anyway, my aim to cause the audience to know that my wealth is God-given and kingdom purpose. Another way I... And, and so two big divisions, verses 1 to 13, the dishonest manager, this first story, this first parable. And then I just lumped... I see chapter, uh, verses 14 to 31 as one unit. Now there's there's some subunits in there. But and let, me just, uh, let me just speak to that before I forget it and not... And, so 14, he starts, after he tells the story of this uh, dishonest manager, he ends that in 13. And so 14, he says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. And I, I had a question this morning as I was reading this. I don't have an answer. And I wonder if any of you, I might debate this among yourselves in your groups. What is he, how, how far back does all these things go back? That the, the Pharisees heard all these things. Is that just the parable of the dishonest food? Does it go all the way back to the three parables in chapter 15? Maybe back, uh, four, you know, I don't know yet. I kind of suspect it goes 
Because this whole series of where we are in Luke is, is um, the way Luke's arranged the material is at times Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, times he's speaking to the crowd, uh, to the multitude, and some, to the disciples, sometimes the larger crowd. Anyway, but he says in verse 14, the Pharisees who were, who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And so Jesus then said to them, so he begins to address, he turns his attention back to the Pharisees from 14 on. So I'm, so I'm saying by that, implying that this last parable, the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus is targeting, he's, he's addressing the Pharisees and the fact that they were lovers of money and he's given them a story to, to, to bring out the point the implication of if you're if that's what you are, you're just a lover of money. Let's let's talk about where that's going to take you. So, um, two another way to think about it, or a way to, that I just kind of titled or characterized the two divisions um, that I think both are talking to us about our our wealth and what our attitude should be about our wealth, our, our stuff, our material possessions. Number the first division, the dishonest manager. That's a that's a positive example from a negative source. I will I'll draw that here in just a second. You know the whole the lot of you know the the, 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 the dishonest steward. He, he had issues that are not uh, exemplary, and yet he there was one thing about him that Jesus said that aspect of his of his that uh, that shrewdness. You believers, you disciples need to be more like that. So it's a, so Jesus pulls a positive example out of this negative uh, story. And then the second half, the 14 to 31, it's, it's a negative warning from a negative source. Um, the warning of the reality of hell, the reality of punishment. So... Let me just give some uh, some comments, some background, or some things. Here's some questions, some key questions that I failed to ask. That's, that was the title. You, you don't have that. But as I was began to study it, I realized, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Um, reading some of the study notes and, rec- and the commentators and so forth. Um, one of the key ones is, in this, in this first, in this parable of the dishonest manager... If you look at verse, well, it's, it's kind of the, these two questions are really are really related to each other. So one is, um, who is the master in verse eight, the one who who commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness? Who is that master? Is that the, the two big choices? Apparently, are is that Jesus? Is is that uh, rep- And I think it had to do with the Greek word. Anyway. And, and related to that is where does the parable end and Jesus' comments about the parable start? Did anybody even, does that question even get into anybody's head? Okay, so here's my take. And I'm going to answer both of those questions. I'm going to say that the parable ends, it ends with verse 7. I, I think I'm about to disagree with myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm going to disagree with myself. No, I'm not. Woo, that's just tricky. 
So let me just let's say, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. By the way, where in this section of Luke did we wasting his possessions, that, that concept? Where did that ring any bells? Prodigal son. He, he wasted his father's possessions. And he called him and said to him, said, what's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall, what shall I do? He said to himself, my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And I have, So I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, keep, you keep hearing that word management, this is the ESV. So that's, again, my wealth is God-given. I'm, I'm to be a manager of what God has entrusted to me. It's not, it's not mine, it's God's, and he just wants me to manage it properly. Um. I'll do, I will, I've decided what to do. So when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning, summoning his master's debtor. So again, at this point, master is still clearly the guy in the story, the owner in the story. Uh, calling him in one by one, he said to the first, how, how much do you owe my master? Again, referring to the, his owner in the, wealth, in the story. hundred measures of oil, he said, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Here's verse 8. The master. So I'm concluding that Luke hasn't changed who that, who that the master is. It's, he's still in the story. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. I guess what I really meant was that's where the parable ends. I wouldn't debate you on this. Because I think when the second half of verse 8 for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light that does not sound like something that the the owner in the story would say so i got i got to edit my own notes here uh, so the the parable ends midway in verse 8 at the end of the commendation the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness because if there, there, I guess there's some reasons that you could take um, that, 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 that Luke or that Jesus somehow or that Luke writing this story in, in, intended to that to be Jesus commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. But then people go, why, why would Jesus? Anyway, it just gets. But I don't think I, I, I think there's just no indication that. This term, master, 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 it's all, it's all the same guy in the story. But then the parable ends at, at that commendation, and then Jesus is giving his commentary on the parable. You know, he, he's kind of given the, the crowd, here's why I told you the parable. All right, I'm about to, starting with, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves. By means of unrighteous wealth. Here's another term. And that's in the ESV. Unrighteous wealth. I think every other translation has mammon and um, what are some other translations? Worldly. Worldly. Yeah. I think it's amoral. Um, And my main reason for that is because Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point and telling them what to do with their... And if it's unrighteous wealth in the sense of it was ill-gotten gains, then Jesus is basically accusing the whole crowd of every all your wealth. I know you cheated to get it. And so that doesn't work. So I think, I don't know why uh, 
Well, I, the ESV, I'm sure they have good reasons. A lot of smart po- folks did this translation. But it was just a little misleading to me. I, um, <laughs> all right, so... Um, so just to, just so you understand what that when it talks about unrighteous wealth there in verse nine verse ten or verse eleven rather, he's just talking about our our earthly amoral wealth. Nothing wrong with it inherently. He's just saying he's just making the distinction between temporal and eternal. All right. Um, now I think and here's this I don't think it's worth a whole lot of. Um, well, let me say this. So what was it that Jesus was commending? What was it about that dishonest steward? What was it about him that was uh, noteworthy? And I, and I agree with Brett Hilliard. Um, this is the way he presented it, and I think every other commentator that's right presented it this way. <laughs> and that is, it, uh, he was dishonest, and, and I noticed that... Um, that the manager commended the dishonest, I mean, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So that's, that's his dishonesty was what he did with uh, changing the bills. I know one of the popular understandings, and actually I think I, I went into the text kind of with this, because I'd heard this or been taught this, that really what the manager was doing was just erasing his commission. They, and there, there's probably some truth in that. But if that's, what, if that's totally what he was doing, then in what way was he dishonest? Because his master wouldn't have known about it to begin with. It was his, you know, it was what he charged them, part of his commission. Then he goes back to him and says, take away my commission. What's dishonest about that? His manager, would, his master would still be getting the full amount that the master expected to get. That's my logic. I'm not, that's a rhetorical question. I mean, it's a question to be discussed in the groups, but that's my under, that's my that's why I think that uh, the guy really was dishonest in what he was doing with the bills. They really did owe, uh, if not all of that money, a good chunk of it to the master. And but he understood, I got to do something. I'm a, I love the way Brett put it last night. I'm about to be homeless, <laughs> and I need to do something with these these men of wealth. To, to, to put myself in their good graces so that when I'm homeless, I can go to them and they will receive me, and they, which is what it says. And, then, and I think that, that way of thinking is what Jesus, he said, look, and, and, and I think what Jesus is doing here is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Y'all heard that? that that's a style of argument. Um, where you, and, and the lesser is this guy, all he was doing was worrying about himself Still temporally, he knew that in a few weeks or months or whatever, a few days, he was not he was going to be out of work, out of a job, out of income, and he needed to do something with that inevitability. Still a temporal situation, right? So that's the lesser. And then Jesus takes that and he makes that transition that these sons of the world, how does he, what does he call them? The sons of the world, they're more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. You, verse 9, here's the application Jesus wants his disciples to hear from this, to take away from this story. And I tell you, you, I tell you disciples, you sons of light, 
Make friends for yourselves by means of your wealth, your material possessions, so that when it fails, and Brett greatly say, or, you know, uh, observe, not if it fails, <laughs> but when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So now Jesus is taking it to the greater. It's not just about taking care, you know, doing some things today to take care of yourself and your physical life at some point in the future on this earth. No, it's about what you do, what we do in our lives today that, that has eternal implications. So that's my take on, at a, at a high level, on, uh, on this first parable. Now, um, now Jesus points out, he's, so his commentary, and I'll let y'all discuss this, you know, 11, if, if you've not been faithful in the, in the unrighteous or the, the earthly wealth, who's going to entrust you the true riches, which would by implication would be eternal, you know, the, the souls of men and women and, and uh, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, which again, this, this uh, master or owner manager, this, the wealth, it, it belongs to one person, it's being managed by another person. That theme or that uh, principle, that dynamic, is, uh, it, it was in the prodigal son, it, not so much from a managing, but from a squandering his father's wealth. Not, you know, it wasn't his... Um, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise it. You cannot serve God and money. So then the Pharisees, verse 14, who were lovers of money? So that's Luke is telling us. He's, he, now he's going to bring it back to the Pharisees. As I said, a, he's going to give us a warning from a negative source. He just gave us a, a positive example from a negative source, this dishonest manager. Now he's going to give us a warning. So here's my quick take on um, a couple of things before we get to the rich man and Lazarus. So Jesus just directly hits the Pharisees because he knew what was in their hearts. They're lovers of money. They're ridiculing him. I didn't study. I didn't think a lot. In what sense were they ridiculing him? But they were. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. And I read that and I go, that can't, that's, what? Everyone forces his way into it? And I think, I don't, I, you know, and you probably, you may have seen some different takes on what that means. One of the discussions or several of the discussions is exact, what's the best translation of the, of the Greek there? You know, everyone forces his way into it or people are being forced and it's passive. And you, you kind of get all tangled up into the, the tenses of the verb or the voice of the verbs and so forth. And I said, oh, I don't want to get too lost up in that. Um, here's the only thing that I... The only thing that, 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 that and this isn't really an answer, but everyone forcing his way into the kingdom. I thought about, um, it, and I didn't go back and look exactly what it was, but you remember, strive to enter. You know, the, the gate is narrow. 
strive to enter the, ne- the, the, the narrow gate. That was just a few chapters back, just a couple of chapters. And I thought about, because I remember the, uh, the kind of the, the juxtaposition, if you will, of the, the narrow gate. And we tend to think of salvation as a gift, which it is, right? <laughs> and yet Jesus in that one place talked about strive to enter. There's some kind of effort to respond to repent or something. You know, you, you see the... And it just feels like this may be something like that. People, the, the folks that were responding to the, in, to, to, to the invitation to Jesus and the, you know, His in, invitation to enter the kingdom, they were forcing their way into it. That's not... That, like I said, that doesn't really explain it. Um, for it is easier... For heaven and earth to pass away, then for one dot of the law to become void. And that's the connection to this, to verse 18. But let's, and it's kind of the, so let me back up. Verse 16, when he talks about the law and the prophets, I heard a guy, I was listening to a guy, my favorite British preacher, listening to him, his sermon on this. And uh, he said something, he, he said, what's going on with the law and the prophets? And this connects down to verse 31, where this whole thing ends. He said, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, which is equivalent to the law and the prophets, if they don't hear, if a, if a person is, not, is shut off or not willing to listen to the, to the scriptures, the law and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. It's not, it's not a belief. It's not an intellectual, I need more evidence issue. It's a heart. It's a rebellious heart issue. And this guy said, just back to verse 16, the law represents, it is that part of the Old Testament that tells us about our sin. It tells us about our need for a Savior, our need to be rescued. And the prophets point to the rescuer. The prophets point to Jesus, the one who will be that Savior. And I thought, wow, I like that. Just as a summary, just a, 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 a concise way to kind of see the Old Testament. The law teaches us that we're sinners and we need, we need to be rescued. And the prophets point to the one who will rescue. And so the Pharisees were, were, were rejecting. You know, they had Jesus in front of them and they were rejecting that. And so verse 18, I think, is an, just Jesus just lifted an example one of the ways, one of the areas of the law that the Pharisees were setting aside, the, the issue of marriage and divorce, divorce and remarriage. And you remember back in uh, if you, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus here, he had a, a, a collection of, you know, you've heard it said, but I say, and so one of those was about marriage. You've heard it said, um, and I'm drawing a blank on that. But let's go to 19. Because 19 is one where it says the Pharisees came up to test him. And that's where they ask him in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew's account of it, of the exchange. You know, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And, we're, and the background of that was they had this whole debate going on. The two were Shemel and Hamah or Shemah and Shemel or... You know, whatever. There were two rabbis, Hillel and somebody. I forget the other. And they had this debate. And, and these guys, they were all into the Pharisees, apparently, trying to figure out, all right, 
for all what when, can I divorce my wife? And they had they had paragraphs on debating could I, can I divorce my wife for this reason or that reason or this reason? Of course, there's nothing in any of that about the wife and in, in her position in these things. It's just the men and their way. And so I think Jesus is just lifting out as and they knew it. He didn't have to elaborate. They knew what he was talking about. Uh, and that's my take on why, why 18, one verse on divorce and remarriage, why it's here. It, it, I'm convinced it's here for a reason. That's the best understanding. That kind of satisfies me. And then I move on. Because, again, he's talking to the Pharisees, back to 14, who were lovers of money. Luke is setting this up. So now we get to the rich man and Lazarus. Coming into this, the rich man and Lazarus, I was pretty convinced. I, I got this. It's, it's the reality of hell. And it's the, 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 the poor man goes to the bosom of Abraham and, and the rich man goes to hell and has this exchange. And here's the things. Um, and, and this is an example of uh, how, why I try to teach myself and, and encourage others to, to really read the text and, and um, ask yourself... What, why, why do I think, it does, is what I think, is it really coming from the text? You know, am, I just, am I favoring some things in the text and sort of ignoring other things? I think I'm going I'm to illustrate why I was guilty. Maybe I'm guilty of that in this text. And the other point that I think this brings out is, we've, we've said this before, is you know these parables... The, the right way to look at the, to understand, to approach these parables is not to try to, to, try to uh, identify every detail of the parable and have some spiritual, you know, what, what's the great uh, pithy definition of a parable? Heavenly story with an earthly meaning. The other way. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and our tendency in some, you know, is I, I want everything, I want to give everything in the story an, a, a heavenly meaning, right? And I call that pressing the parable beyond what the intention of it. And I think it's easy to do that here. And here's here's what I'm talking about. It had never, I'd never had the question in my mind until reading this over and over and kind of think about it, is why did the angels carry the poor man to Abraham? I mean, you know, if you just caught me on the street, I'd have probably said he's. he's I mean, I kind of knew because there's a song, you know, the bosom of Abraham. I knew that phrase, maybe for the King James or something. But when I think about that, I go, whoa, whoa, wait, my, my theology, that doesn't fit. What do you mean? Why the, the, the bosom of Abraham? And, and why is this rich man having this dialogue with Abraham? <laughs> and so I just thought I had never thought about that. And maybe I need to think about that. Just to check in my just in, in my own track with what, the, what I understand about this parable. Here's another thing: I two things that I'd never um, thought about. Why would why did the poor man? Why was why did he go? And I'm gonna call it heaven. Does it say it's heaven? I don't know. He's carried by angels to Abraham's side. Um, but anyway, why did let's just say he went to heaven? Why? Why did he go to heaven? Well, I, I tell you what I've always thought, but it's not in the text. He just did. <laughs> it, it, right? And, and similarly, why did the rich man go to hell? 
didn't feed them. Was he supposed to? I mean, so so that's probably, you know, um, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I didn't study that phrase at all, but I'm sure there's something about that. But he went to hell. Now, here's the, here's here's my answer to the second question that I, is that is in the text. It's when it's when Abraham when uh, when Abraham tells the you know uh, the rich man no uh, we can't come I can't send Lazarus because there's chasm and you can't go nobody can go from one to the other and so his second request then he said uh, verse twenty eight well in the last part twenty seven I beg you then send them send them to my father's house because I've got five brothers. So that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of, wait a minute, I missed it. Or, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so he said, uh, you know, that's when Abraham said, no, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And, and then this, the rich guy says in verse 30, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That's the key to me that says, okay, this guy understood why he was in hell. And he understood what his brothers needed to do so they wouldn't end up where he was. They needed to repent. And and we know repentance was the whole thing in chapter 15. That's what God and the angels celebrate. One repentant sinner. That was the thing. The prodigal son repented. Um, And so I'm convinced that the rich man went to hell because he refused to repent. And, I, and it's just an open question as to why the poor man went to heaven. One thing I sure want to I want to avoid is thinking, well, all poor people go to heaven and all rich people go to hell. Um, so I, that would not, I think that would, would be a wrong way to understand this. So um, let me give you a um, let me give you a, write down Deuteronomy eight twenty. That, and that's actually from the first section that, that uh, you cannot serve God and mammon. And, you know, I ask you about the punchline. You cannot serve God and mammon. And, and one of the truths from that is uh, your stuff does not really belong to you. And Deuteronomy 8.20, it's actually the, the, the verses leading up to 20. And it's, it, it's, it's, that, it's where it basically says, you, God, Moses, God is speaking, Moses is warning. They say, well, you know, when you get into the land... And, and you, you get houses and crops and, and you begin to accumulate. And you're going you're gonna to think it, it's you that did all that and it's not you. You can read that. That's a, that's a very uh, crude paraphrase. Um, but just write that down. Um, so I think, but I, so given all that that I was just talking about. The, the, so what is the point? The point of the the set the verses nineteen this this story about the rich man and Lazarus is Jesus is giving he's giving the Pharisees a pictorial a mental image if you will of what he preached back in chapter six you remember that uh, six twenty four I believe it is it's the Sermon on the Plain Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Because in Luke, he's not on a mountain. He's on a plane. Not a, not a flying plane. But a, like the loveliest village on the plane. Like where I went to school. <laughs> but he said, 
He said in, in uh, what did I say, Luke 6? Get over here. You know, he starts off talking about he's addressing the poor and the hungry and so forth. And then he says, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. And look at verse in our chapter tonight. What did Abraham say to the rich man? Um, verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, that remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. So, that's, so that, that was you. That's it for you. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted. And you're now in anguish. And that's exactly what Jesus... But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well-fed well now, for you shall be hungry. And I just think this, this story is just an illustration of, of, of that principle, of that truth right there. So, so the point of, of this chapter, I, I'm convinced... In both cases, is it's challenged me about my wealth, the, the positive, the application from the first one, and my thinking strategically, shrewdly, about using my wealth. And I thought Brett gave some great illustrations last night, but using my material possessions to win people, to gain friends for eternity. That's that. That's, that's about you know what it means that who will welcome you in, in eternal dwellings. And again, I wouldn't press the parable too far to mean that those people have to die before I die. So that they're in heaven when I... Right? That, that was the way I was reading it, just kind of literally. And then I kind of thought, well, probably that's probably not required. Um, and, then, and then from the negative sense, the warning is if I don't do that, if I'm just consuming all my wealth on myself with no concern for the poor and no concern for the, not without a heart for the lost, watch out. The guy, my, my British preacher said, I'll, you can write these down real quick, because one of my questions was, what do you learn um, about hell? And uh, he, he had, uh, hell is real. Hell is, uh, I said, irreversible. There's, there's no, it's, it's permanent. No purgatory, by the way. That would uh, teach us that the doctrine of purgatory is not correct. It is, um, it's a place of conscious torment, conscious punishment. And, and fourthly, it's populated. No universalism. Uh, the position that, well, there may be a hell for Satan and the demons, but none of, no, no people are going to end up there. God's going to save us all. Somehow, some way. Rob Bell is a guy who wrote a book about that. I mean, that, the universalism has been around for hundreds of years. But uh, point four from this is, no, hell will be populated with people and punishments. a very sobering um, text. Let me pray and let you guys go to discuss that, all that and everything you've seen in the text. Father, we, uh, we want to be men who learn from the steward as to how to... Uh, how to think about the stuff you've entrusted to us, the, the strength and the wealth and just all that we have. That's the big challenge, Father. How can we use that to make friends in this life that, will, that ultimately will welcome us in eternal dwellings? 
Would you help us understand that, Father, in practical ways? We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.